0: Awesome. Okay, well, thanks so much for hopping on What's It Like. Um, one big thing I wanted to talk to you about was what it's like having a financial epiphany. Um, you mentioned in 2011, uh, it led you to start your journey towards financial independence. Uh, I was wondering if you could maybe speak on factors outside of reading the book uh, that you mentioned, The Secret of Millionaire Mindset, and you attended the seminar as well.
1: Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so there, there are a few things that led to the our financial epiphany. Um, first was obviously reading those books, but um, in 2011, my Back then, girlfriend and I just move in together and we started doing more of our finance together. Um, so we, we started realizing that, you know, we, we need to get our ducks in together and then uh, started looking at our finances and that's when we, we put more attention to, to our money and investments. How would you recommend others kickstart their journey? Like, do you think there are any sort of uh,
0: uh, steps you could take or recommend people do to understand a bit more about managing money
1: and how it can free them up in the future? Well, I think first of all is just understanding um, like how much you earn each month and how much you how much you're spending each month, right? So having having a budget system, or even not as, as sim- even as simple as just yeah, like I said, like what your inflow is outflow, right? Are you spending more money than you earn? Uh, if you're not, like how much are you saving each month? So that 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 will get everybody started because um, if you're if you're constantly spending more than you earn, you're going to get into trouble pretty quickly. And I like to dig into the weeds of that. So when you say they create a budget, would you recommend doing that weekly, monthly, um, just setting up an Excel spreadsheet? Um, so for us, we just we do it. We track it monthly. Right? So so we have a budget system where we uh, we we um, we allocate a certain percentage to different categories um, for each month, and we just track it. And then we, we take a look. Um, you know, if we go over by by the allocation, uh, like for the month, we're not too worried because there's the ups and downs of each month, right? So we kind of do a review every six months and then do a do a big review by end of the year kind of thing. Um yeah, I, I think to get people started, it's really um tracking your your budget, knowing how much you're spending, right? Because you know if you ask somebody like, okay, how much are you spending on groceries per month? If somebody says they're spending 400 dollars a month, um, if they're not actually tracking a number, 90% of the time they're underestimating how much they're spending on on a particular item. Right. So also knowing that being able to track that, knowing that will help you, and also you can you can see a trend over time, right? So, you know, a trend we saw was our groceries spending went up. Well, we we have two young kids that started eating food, so right. that makes sense, right? So, so you could you can see a see a trend, or you know, you start also seeing that you're you know spending more on gas, right? Maybe you need to, and and yeah, you're, you're driving style and you're driving the same amount of distances um, each week. You maybe want to look into what's causing that increase. Maybe gas price is going up. Right. If the gas prices stay steady, like what's going on, are you driving more aggressively? Right, All these factors will help you in terms of controlling your money. Yeah. I think that's a great recommendation because you can't really improve upon something unless
0: you measure it because then you have nothing to improve against. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Um, in terms of your um, sort of, when you started after your financial epiphany, were there any maybe bumps or difficult periods where you thought um, or you'd recommend others sort of either try to avoid or um, to push through or any suggestions relating to that? So for example, something could be you tried budgeting and you found it was very difficult to track all your
1: expenses. It was time consuming. Is there anything like that uh, that you think people should focus on when beginning this journey? Um, no, I think, I think people have a tendency of just like do everything at once, right? And that becomes quite overwhelming. So I would I recommend budgeting first, understanding your info outflow of your money, and then take once once you get that sorted out, then start looking to the investment part of things. Right? Because if you if you're saving money each month, so you're saving $500 a month, but you're you're not putting that money to work, if you're hiding that money in under your mattress, that doesn't help you. So how do you how do you take that money and make that money work hard for you? Whether it's GIC now, with the interest rate so low, GIC maybe doesn't make sense. But how do you make that money grow such that it gets bigger and bigger as time goes on. Absolutely. Could you just, for the people who don't um, know exactly what a GIC is, could you just explain that quickly? It's the guarantee invest, guarantee interest. Uh, I forgot what the C stands for. Basically, it's like you, if you put five dollars in your, with, in a GIC, usually the bank then says, okay, we'll pay you two percent for the entire year. But usually, the turns terms returns a year, you can't touch the money for a year. So if you would make a withdrawal of the money before the year ends, you don't get the full interest. And, and you, it seems like, uh, well, not seems like it is, your, your focus is
0: on dividend income um, from companies. And I wanted to, to ask you a question about that, uh, regarding what it's like to live off income from companies that you technically own, but don't control. Because many people I know in the investment game, they prefer real estate, because they have a bit more control over the day-to-day, um, which also means more work, right? Like they don't have free time to do things such as the wedding photography, which I saw you're interested in. So I was wondering what that's like, where you don't really control the companies, but you own them and you have such a vested interest in their success.
1: Yeah, so, so our investment philosophy, just to make it clear, is we do both dividend investing as well as um, index ETF investing. Right. So it's a bit of a hybrid approach. Now, in regarding dividend investing, um, we're basically investing companies that we use their products on a daily basis, right? So, you know, we, we bank with TDs, so we own TD. Um, we actually own quite a few banks, but for the most part, people don't change their banks, right? Um, and banks, are, they, they make money easy because they could just increase the monthly, uh, you know, transaction fees, for example, right? Um, you know, things like, we, we use a smartphone. We're, we're with Carlos and Rogers. Um, you know, how, how often do you, do you hear people complaining that cell phone bills are too high? Right? So right. cell phone companies are making money because of that. Uh, you need utilities, right? so you know, Hydro one in, in Ontario, four is in BC. Um, maybe it makes sense to, to own those companies. And when companies make money, they seem to distribute their, part of their earnings with their shareholders, and that's when we get our dividend payments.
0: Um, one thing that I, I was wondering about was your uh, reallocation of your portfolio, because when you you own these companies, and, and I completely agree with what you're saying, it's good to be invested in companies that you use and, and almost understand uh, their business model. Do you, um, I, I know you do do reallocation, but I was wondering maybe your formula or, or your thoughts going into that, where you say, okay, maybe I don't say you switch banks, I don't. I no longer bank with TD.
1: At that point, would you look into a divesting or would there be another sort of factor that you're more cognizant of? Yeah, so we don't we haven't really done like once we once we buy a stock, we typically don't sell unless the fundamentals the company changes, right? So if anything, we try to diversify. So you know, only TD or only Royal Bank or only in Bank of Nova Scotia or only in Bank of Montreal, right? And then just making sure the, the percentage of those stocks don't exceed, say five percent of our overall portfolio value, right? And and it's really trying to diversify. And you know, if we if we find a product that, that's very competitive. And has a in the investment world, like if the company has a wide moat, um, that seems to be that company seems to be more uh, a little bit safer to to invest in, right? So, so for example, um, you look at Apple, right? They they make computer laptops and also phones. How many people you know that use an iPhone actually switch over to Android? Probably some people, but how many of those people? Like if somebody has an iPhone, um, like multiple iPhones in their family, and they haven't. Uh, like a Mac, they have a, an iPad and also have an iWatch. Those people are probably so involved in like the Apple ecosystem. that for yeah. them to switch over to another um, like to, to Samsung or Google probably is nearly they they probably won't even think about it. And fa- in fact, I know quite a few people that you know has has had an iPhone and they switch over to an Android phone, but their families still stick are are still on iPhone and like the, the whole iMessenger doesn't work. So they end up switching back to iPhone, right? So mm-hmm. these kind of companies have, have very um, light mode where, where there's quite a bit of customer ro- royalty. Um, and similarly for Google too, right? Like some people just stick on with Android phones and they don't even want to consider Apple. So things like that you have to consider when you, when you, make, uh, when you make an investment. Right, and I, I
0: like your, your philosophistic long term, it minimizes the tax implications. I mean, I've, I've read through your blog extensively, and there's even Buffett. That's a big thing, too, is to, to hold long term, because short term, it's going to be hard to beat the market. Um, I really wanted to talk to you about what it's like living off the interest. Um, how, maybe you could talk a bit about how it's changed for you over time, um, and if it's what
1: you were expecting. Um, well, we just we we have not gone to the point where we're living off of our dividend income yet. Where right now this year we're about 55%. So we still have a bit of way to go. um What I've realized is is indeed possible. And the other thing is, you know, even though you're say say you're earning earning 40, 000 in dividend income because we're investing in both RSP and TFSA, there's some tax deferral and advantage to it versus if you are only to, if you earn 40,000. Dollars with a with a full time job, right? Because you're getting taxed at a high, at a much higher rate than than dividend income. So dividend income is quite uh, tax efficient. Even if you earn forty thousand in in a taxable account versus you're working forty thousand, the net amount you get um, you'll get a higher net amount from dividend income versus if you you were working wow. full time at forty thousand. So it becomes very very efficient that way, right? So that that's something we we realize, and, and that's definitely a strategy that we have started in terms of how can we make our dividend income as tax efficient as possible. So one way is to utilize the likes of RSP and TFSA. And the other method is to split our portfolio between my wife and, and myself, right? So maybe it's not a 50-50 split because my wife um, does more full-time, right? So she doesn't have as much RSP contribution room. So do we can we do a 60-40 split eventually such that not everything is taxed under me, right? So all these tax um, strategies becomes important. One thing I wanted to ask you about was, um, if you,
0: like, when you do get to the point that I, I no doubt you will, where you can live off fully totally the 100% of the interest, um, do you have any concern that you may miss things or feel uh, different? I mean, one one thing I was wondering about was I spoke to my parents a lot about this, and I think this is a goal I want to have in my life, where I, I'm free to work on things I'm more passionate about, as opposed to doing a regular job. Um, I was wondering maybe if you if you feel any sort of uh, potential to miss out or loneliness that could be associated with this in the future? Um,
1: no, not really. I mean, the fact that once, once, you're financially independent, meaning that you have enough, uh, your portfolio generates enough money such so you don't have to you, you don't have to rely on a on a uh, full time job or part time job. Um, you're, the, the way you see money starts to shift, right? Or the way you mm-hmm. start seeing, seeing work starts to shift. So you're because you're no longer relying on a job to to pay for your your everyday expenses. Maybe you you're not so worried about whether you lose a job or not, right? Um, you may be more motivated to do other things. you may, you may be motivated to pursue in your other interests and really uh, build a life that you want rather than live, um, you know, constantly working for for your employer. I mean that, that, that I kind of put it, it doesn't mean it's, it's bad, but just you're, you're more empowered to decide what you want to do with your life, right? Um, and uh, what I've seen is you you re, what I've seen with, with quite a few people that have reached that stage is that they they have more control over their lives and they, they could call their they could make their own day schedule. Um, they, um, for example, they, they get to do what they want, right? So, if uh, a few people I know they decide to volunteer because they really want to give back, right? And, and that, by not having to worry about um, working full time or part time and generating that money, they are able to volunteer more freely. right? So, I think that's very imp- uh, powerful. Now, having said that, yeah, there's probably stuff that you would miss, for example, the social aspect of uh, working in an the, the office, for example, right? So, the water cooler talk and all that stuff, right? So that's something you will have to get used to and you know maybe change your mentality. Right. So for example, when I like that's something I definitely have to what I went through um after graduating from university, right? So during university, you see you see people all the time, you go to classes and you see friends. And then once you start working, it's a bit different, right? You're working full time, you you, you interact with your coworkers at the office, you don't see your friends as often possibly and, and it becomes maybe a little bit harder to make new friends. Right. So so there's there's that that shift in, you know, University is is easier to make friends, easier to make friends, and you know there's there's maybe um, more social interactions on the on the personal level versus when you're working, when you're interacting is more on the professional level, right? So so when you're when you're financially independent or you know, retire early, that that there's another shift that you have to get used to for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one thing I was really interested in was learning about your time in Germany. Uh, I lived in Hamburg. I worked
0: there um, for six months. I went to school there as part of a dual program for twelve months.
1: Uh, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a fascinating country. I was wondering where where both of you were working. Sure uh, I was, gonna... yeah, I was working in Hanover. Just I think that's like two hours south of Hamburg, maybe an hour by train. It depends oh, yeah. on which train, which kind of train you're taking. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I was there as a co-op student, so exchange. So during university, I went through engineering. So uh, part of the program, we have to, to co-op placement uh, every so often. So I was I was in germ- I was in Hanover working at a laser research center um, for eight months. So that allowed me to. of travel over Europe during that time. So in fact, I think I was I was traveling for for the most part on weekends. I think I may have only stayed in in Hanover for maybe three or four weekends out of the entire eight months. Um, So that was that was quite interesting. I was young then in my 20s. So I was uh you know doing all the crazy stuff like hop on the train, just go somewhere without really prepare Like in fact we went to uh we one 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 Friday night uh, I was with some other Canadians and we we were obviously drinking and we are like oh we would just get on a train to go to Bremen and uh, we we brought a tent with us and we got to Bremen and then we walked around trying to find a hostel but the hostel was closed. We're like okay what do we do so we walk around we're like well we, we have a tent so we could just pitch a tent and it turns out you know tenting is illegal in Germany unless it's a designated uh, camping area so we walk around for hours and we we, we just had a jaguars I think it was like uh, it was still pretty cold. I think it was early May or June. I can't remember or I can't remember exactly when it was in terms of mine. But it was it was cold. We we, we had jackets on. And then uh, we ended up walking to some industrial area where there were like, you know, uh, high grasses. So we, we pitched the tent and then got in slept. We had no foamies, no sleeping bags. We were we woke up around three or four in the morning and freezing and we ended up going to McDonald's that morning and had coffee and <laughs> hot breakfast and then and then we I think we ended up uh, towing touring around Brayman and went up to Right. So, so this kind of stuff was, was something that was interesting. Um, I also, uh, we, I slept in a bus station, uh, train station, airport, just to save money. Um, I was uh, exploring cities without a map. So I was just trying to sort of practice my orientation. Like, for example, I walked around Barcelona without a map. And I was basically just sort of walking along the, the, uh, metro stations and trying to figure out uh, where I am. And I think I was trying to go to the, uh, uh, one day i was trying to walk to the get to the picasso museum and i must have took the wrong turn and i yeah. got into i ended up in this sketchy neighborhood and there were a bunch of kids teenagers who came up to me and they're like oh let me show you a soccer move and they like hooked my leg and then and then and i was like ha, ha, ha it's not funny and then and then next thing i knew i i knew that my wallet was gone right so i ran oh, after no. the, those guys and then i mean I, I didn't have any anything in my wallet i didn't i had money bill but I held my credit cards in there and my ID, right? So I ran after them. I caught up to one of the kids and then was like give my wallet back. I got got it back. Fortunately, wow. That was that was quite an experience. I right? saw, so, you know, I certainly did some looking back, some stupid stuff as a 20 year old, but it, it was definitely a very interesting experience for sure. Absolutely. I, I can relate to many of those stories. I I went to England
0: one uh, one weekend by myself. I went on Ryanair, it was a one euro flight. I paid one euro there and 29 euros back to Frankfurt and i was there by myself um and so i stayed at a hostel and i slept with they didn't have locks in the in the hostel. it was me and i think six others in one room and when i woke up i took a shower i checked my bag and my laptop was stolen and all my money was stolen and so i had to spend the next day just sort of miserable thinking about how i've lost this MacBook worth like a thousand dollars um and the worst part was my my flight was at six in the morning the next day so I did, or not the next day, the day after. So I didn't want to pay for a hostel that night. So I just said, oh, I'll just go to the, I'll go to a bar, whatever, have fun, have a couple drinks, try to meet people, whatever, and then go to the airport probably at four or five in the morning. But because I had no money and I was in such a bad mood, I went to the airport at ten at night and I had to sleep at the airport. And it was it made for a miserable night. But I, I bought a book, I read a book. It's
1: just it's a very interesting experience being on your own in another country like that. Yeah, exactly. And and you know I certainly have enough crazy stories of uh, my germ my stay in Germany, right? Like lots of crazy crazy stories and you know it, it, it was it's, it's funny looking back now right so it, it, it it, and part of that it builds your character and, and builds your experience in terms of traveling so it's okay <laughs> A hundred percent. I found I really learned a lot about myself when I was there.
0: I just learned what I found to be important and what I enjoyed doing. And I found when I returned home to Canada, I was less likely to do things that I didn't necessarily enjoy doing or hang around with people I didn't necessarily enjoy being around. Um, because I think you get a, a lot more freedom when you're there and you realize this little circle you grew up in is not everything
1: there is in the world. There's so many more people and things to do and experience. Exactly. And I, I think you would definitely learn a lot more than you wouldn't learn otherwise from, from being in a class. And that's why I do think of traveling is that's probably the best thing you could do for yourself and also if you have, if you have kids that's the best experience that you can, you can provide to them because i mean you know there, there's one thing of you know watching watching video like, like social like social classes in uh in high school right like i'm sure you probably went through the same where you just sit in the in a classroom and watch videos of uh like second world war or first mm-hmm. world war and and you know you feel out the planes kind of thing that's one thing It's another thing to actually like you know i i when when i was in germany i went to Normandy beach, and you know, walk on the on the beach and went to the cemeteries, and that was you know very powerful. You know, go go through the some of the uh, trenches, right, and really just trying to picture yourself what it was like back then and seeing all the names, right, Um, that those people that have died because they sacrificed themselves during the war, and that that was way more powerful than. Than sitting in a classroom and watching these, those videos, I think personally, um, and, and also just also like geography, I, I was never really big in terms of geography um, in school, but through traveling now, I know like okay, this city is north of this, and you know this country is here. But I think that's that's way way more important than than uh, or, or way more valuable than than uh, learning in class. I completely agree. I think uh, it, we almost become desensitized
0: when we watch a movie on World War One or World War II, and it seems sort of just like a movie. It doesn't seem like this actually happened. And when you go there in person, it definitely, it's a lot more emotional where you think, well, these were people just like me who just happened to be born at a different time in a different situation and had to fight for maybe something they believed in, maybe something they didn't. It's a, it's a pretty eye-opening experience. Exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, along with your experience with Germany, which I think definitely had an impact on me, and I, it sounds like it did on you as well. Um, are there any other experiences you had in your life that, Perhaps led you to take a more unique path towards life, towards work and money, um, besides besides living in Germany. And I think it's, you mentioned on the website your dad, and I think your grandfather as well, were, or
1: uncle, were also interested in like financial.
0: Um, yeah. So
1: so my dad retired when he was in his uh, 40s. I have uh, one cousin, my dad looked up to quite a bit. Um, he's uh, he retired in his early 40s as well. And I have uh, another cousin. Um, she reached financial independence, and but they, she, she and her husband continue to work. So those people um, I definitely look up to, and and um, we 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 are able to talk pretty freely about money and work and other stuff, um, and that, that has certainly helped in terms of my my view about life and, and money and and uh, overall um, how how I interact with, with money and people and and knowing that you know work is not the ultimate goal, right? So that that's that's been a very different experience now. The other thing is, um, I was originally born in, in Taiwan, and I, I immigrated to my family. I immigrated to Canada when I was a teenager, so um, I came here without knowing any English. I think I knew like some basic phrases, and I think I think first day of school, my dad was trying to uh, teach me to say uh, "nice to meet you," and I didn't know what that means. But, um, so that was it. Was definitely a struggle the first six months. Like um, I was very afraid to even speak in English right like almost impairs because I didn't know if I would say it correctly or not. Right. So that that was an, a big learning experience and, and living in a different country, different culture. Um, I mean Canada is very very acceptable and it's multicultural um country. So so it that definitely helps so that, that has been a very big learning experience in terms of coming to a completely new country learning a, a completely new language and going to a school system that's completely different. Right. So that that's been really big and, and also um because my dad uh retiring is early uh not early 40 but in his 40s um each summer we we start having this tradition of uh we would uh do a big family road trip somewhere so one year we we drove out to Alaska. That, that was the year I got my driver's license. I was 16 I was like, this is great. So I like, well, I think one day I drove for 12 hours. I was having tons of fun. Um, but yeah, like we we were driving, like we drove to Alaska and back to Vancouver. One year we drove all the way down to New Orleans and back. Um, I was in, in Scouts so we had a few Januarys, And so after Januarys, one year we was in PI. So we drove around like the Maritimes and East, Eastern States, right? So we, again, through, through these uh, road trips and these are like a month or a month and a half, type of road trips where we actually spent quite a bit of time in each city and, you know, drove around kind of thing, explored. And that really gives me a view of what the world is like, right? And definitely had some very interesting experience. Like, you know, I think one year we were in Utah. Like we stopped by in a small town where, you know, we were the only colored folks in the town. We definitely got a few looks. And I was Mm -hmm. very, very uncomfortable as a young kid. But then I was like, well, we're just we're all the we same. We're just you know different colors of skin and they probably just never seen like uh, non-white people in their town, right? So so and, and they were perfectly friendly, like they were very friendly and they were, you know, just just you know, it wasn't like any discrimination or anything, but it was just you could you sense that it was different, right? And that that was that was a learning experience for me too, right? So so things like that was was definitely uh interesting and, and shifted how I, I view the world and and um and how and who I am, I guess. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I, I was I tried to go as long as I could without
0: bringing up COVID or anything, but I think uh, we've about 10 minutes <laughs> left and I thought now would be a, a good time. Um, so I was wondering how uh, maybe the past couple of, of months have changed or impacted the way you invest in any way, um, and also um, perhaps your tolerance for risk or how maybe what your thoughts were. So there's a couple of questions there, so maybe just curious about how the, the COVID situation has impacted your uh, portfolio or just how you choose to invest at all. Yeah, so
1: when the market was down back in, I guess late March, that was interesting. Like I think our at one point our portfolio was down as much as 250000 dollars which was significant, um, mm-hmm. to say. But uh, you know, we, we didn't we didn't change our, our investing strategy. We we ended up putting quite a bit of money during the downturns and continue to put money regularly uh and to purchase different pain stocks and index ETFs. Um our our idea is you know, it, we're still doing accumulating phase, so we actually want the market to go down so mm-hmm. we can get stuff on sale, right? Like if you could get, get something at 60% discount that that's awesome right why would you want to pay something at, at its full value right so so we this downturn actually has been welcome and mm. has allowed us to to add a few things on um, discount um and personally i think i think it makes me think about um which sector we, we want to get out so for example the oil and gas sector is, in particular uh these oil producers right so luckily we were um closing out our positions in, in like uh, Chevron and other oil producers before COVID. So I got lucky there, but we still own some some shares of stand core. So I'm thinking we need to slowly uh, get out of those oil producers. Uh we own some quite a bit of pipeline. I think pipelines are generally speaking are, are okay because you know you, you need to somehow transport um, these natural gas and oil somewhere. And the reality is we're not going to stop using oil and natural gas anytime soon. So um the past sector may be suppressed for a little bit, but eventually it'll come back. right? Like we're, we're not all of a sudden going to stop using gas and natural gas, like oil oil and natural gas. Um, but uh, it makes me, the, the COVID experience made me to really um, focus on diversification of our portfolio. Because um, I, I think the more you diversify, um, the lower risk it would be, right? Um, but in terms of the investing strategy, it hasn't really changed anything. We still regularly put money in and invest, right? So, um, the, the one thing, the one one thing I've learned over the past years is this phrase is called uh, "get in line and stay in line." So it's kind of like when you line up at a cashier in a grocery store. Um, the person that's in front of the line that's getting his or her uh, stuff scanned and paying, that particular person was back in line at one point, right? So he or she has waited for a long time to to get get his or her uh, turn. Now some people may see a line and they're like, "Oh, I'll well, just switch lines. I'll so switch back and forth." But some quite more, more more than often it actually doesn't get you to the front of the line any faster. So this is kind of like an investing strategy, right? So you, some people may start off with investing in stocks, and then they invest for for safe money. They're like, oh, well, I want to go into real estate investing. So they they just exit the stock investing jumps to real estate investing, and then they they maybe that, that doesn't excite them, so they went back to stocks. Or, um, they 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 go to some other other investing strategy, right? So when you when you're jumping back and forth between investing strategies, that Probably doesn't get you may, may hand for your results in long runs. So it's yep. important to to stay on course and uh, stay with your investing strategy. Now that doesn't mean you you start with stocks and you want to diversify into say real estate investing, like rental property. You're more than ha- happy to do that. You're it's fine, but definitely make sure you stay on course with your investing strategy. On, Stocks in the first place. Absolutely. I, I love what you said about the wine analogy. I think it's so
0: important. Uh, so many people bring their emotions into investing where they buy something and then if the price goes down, they want to sell it because they're worried they're going to lose more money. Whereas you're not losing money until you sell the stock. So if you hold it and it eventually goes down, it's a good thing. And you can just buy more when it goes down. It's a, that's a very good analogy. Uh, in terms of diversification, I was wondering how you approach that. Do you approach diversification meaning do you want to be in different sectors or do you go a bit further than that saying, okay, different sectors such as tech and oil and gas, or different countries as well, or different types of assets? So I know you mentioned you do do index funds, the ETFs, as well as the dividend portfolio. Yeah,
1: yeah so it's, it's important to to understand what you're, what you're investing in and just stay on course. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Did you, do you diversify in different countries as well, or do you um, diversify just within sectors? Oh, yeah, both. So we diversify got everything with different sectors, but also, I um, think, diversify uh, through different countries, too. So um, obviously, in Canada, there's the home country bias, but uh, it's important to diversify outside of Canada. So, you know, U.S. is a, is a very big country, uh, but also internationally as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Just one more, one more
0: question for you, and then I'll just wrap things up. Um, I was wondering what advice you would give, say you were uh, bringing yourself back when you were 25 years old and you're just getting out of school, you're starting your first job now. And during COVID, and you're worried about the market, what would you recommend to your 25-year-old self if you were uh, an investor today, starting out?
1: Um, try to increase your savings rate if possible, and put all that money you save into either in, an index fund, index ETF, or in different uh, dividend-paying stocks, or even—I I mean, or even even non-dividend-paying stocks, right? Like, you know, I, I think buying like of Amazon, for example, makes sense. For some people I and mean, we, we, we do have a small amount of uh money invested in number the paying stars like like google and facebook for example um so i, I don't write about it on my blog but we do have it it's kind of like the play money i have but if i were to give advice to my myself when i'm just starting to work and my COVID hits is first of all make sure make sure you really look at how much you're spending so to see if we could make sure you have a have a sufficient buffer there between how much you earn and how much you spend um, you know, build up your emergency fund. Um, consider how how safe your job is, right? So don't just naively think that you won't get laid off because you have some job security. Um, probably not. I mean, after working for so long, there's no such thing as job security anymore. So really, really making sure that you're you you have some money saved up, and then um, you know, invest, put put that money to work. That, that's probably the best advice I would give to myself. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Bob.
0: Um, as a huge fan of
1: your blog, and I think all the good
0: that it's done for people like myself, and I think just the general public who are interested in investing and learning more, um, we, we can't thank you enough. It's fantastic. It's so generous of you uh, to provide so many free resources. Um, I know you do do a coaching lesson as well, which I am definitely find out I'm signing up for one. Um, so we'll coordinate that afterwards. But uh, I just really wanted to thank you for taking the time today to join me um, and for all the work you do. I mean, it really it's really nice to know that there's people out there who are just doing things to help everyone else. And I definitely think you fit into that category. Now, before we wrap up, are there any maybe uh, places you, you recommend people to interact with you or to find you or to read more, and I'll link to all the things you mentioned
1: in the show notes. Yeah, uh, you're welcome for, uh, um, you're welcome, and in, in. it's nice talking to, to somebody. Um, but uh, people can find me on, on my blog, so that's T A W C A N, In and that stands for Taiwanese Canadian. It's a word I invented. And um, I'm pretty active on Twitter, so it's at talkin, again, T A W C A N. So if uh, uh, you follow me there or uh, send me a message, I am usually pretty responsive. So there's probably two best places to find it. Thank you so much, Bob. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, I'm going to stop the recording now. Thanks, Bob.